you go down this cliff, go left down the cliff, yeah. left, and then just tumble for a while, and then you should be there. When a competent observer looks for signs of despotism in a community, he looks beyond fine words and noble phrases. It's society. They work for each other. They pay each other. They buy houses. They get married and make children. That just sounds like slavery with extra steps. Go into the automobile business and compete with the auto truck. Can I go into the grocery business and compete with the chain store? Not a chance. Monopoly is the menace of free enterprise. Because it's just a big money-making machine. They're wandering through a maze of inauthentic, fake landscapes, and they can't escape. The message in all this is that the capitalist system in America is unfair and is, in fact, a failure at providing for basic human needs or maintaining continued national growth. I, I can't wait for like the episode of like who wants to be a millionaire where all the contestants like team up and they overpower the hosts and they share the money. Bottom-up horizontal connection is sharing at all levels, not top-down control. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Because as communities go, so goes the nation. Welcome, welcome to this edition of What's Left in Albany. This program covers the built environment, politics, and people of Albany, as well as the surrounding Tri-City area and region. Featuring discussions with leaders of communities or organizations to discuss themselves, local issues, and their projects in an effort to get the full picture of what's going on. Otherwise, I am reading general news. I'm Dan Platt, your friendly neighborhood eco-socialist, promoting the build-out of a solidarity economy and delegative democracy, waging my one-man clandestine insurgency against confusion in our post-liberal status quo as we cannot hope to change our conditions until we understand them. Whatever the outrages or joys we have for the city, we are going to find whatever's left. Please clap. I'm Dan Platt, as I said. I'm going to say something about... Uh, so last time, two weeks ago, I had three guests in the studio. It was pretty successful as far as having an interview goes. Though I did not... I'm not really satisfied with kind of the output. Maybe uh, my I, I have a hard-hitting journalistic sensibility, and I found a lot of the conversation to be not not wishy-washy, but um, kind of sidestepping answers. I want what's, I want hows, how are you going to do something? I think most of the people I could be bringing into the studio to talk to, I'll be getting a lot of, we, we all don't quite know what we're doing. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not here just as a critic because I've been in that position where you can work many hours a week and not feel like you're accomplishing anything. And then you're bring brought in to discuss what you're doing. And then you lay on or lean on your general message first, because that's what's important at times. What is your message? What is your voice? Right? Well, well you know, and that, and that, that was a theme that came up. Now there was a bit of a, grounded info about the 787 project from from scott townsend and that's sort of what i wanted more of um but instead of getting kind of like what are the actual plans what are the actual kind of questions that were being asked at the meetings it was more about getting people out to the meetings and participate but as as a activist and or and, and political theorist, theorist let's say to really get people involved in politics we need platforms to actually involve people to do delegative or participatory democracy. That's why I kind of asked that question that, you know, I, I love. It does stroke my ego to ask, to say, oh, that's a good question, Dan. 
in this context, in an hour discussion, it's not so much like, oh, they're just trying to stall for time. If you only have to answer, if you only get 30 seconds to ans uh, answer a question and you say, well, that's a good question, Marge, or, um, you know, newscaster, then, then it is kind of like a way of sidestepping to fill, it, uh, fill up five of those 30 seconds. But now in this case, of course, no, no judgment. Because I've done it myself as an interview subject myself. But I really want to focus on the objective and what can we be doing, what should we be doing, and a lot of people are still kind of figuring that out. So, of course, but at the same time, I do not want this program to turn into another NPR-style roundtable where we all discuss the issues and the problems and not really how to solve them. I think my best joy in listening to podcasts were the third string but mo more radical than anything else sort of shows where they're interviewing on-the-ground organizers. And sometimes those conversations are pretty dry because they really don't have that much to say. Maybe they're not really that great communicators themselves. They haven't thought about what their message is and they're not media trained. So it's a little haphazard conversation. But at least they're like, you know, they're, let's say I'm, I'm referring to, like, example, interviewing someone organizing Starbucks, right? There's a lot more organized unionized Starbucks now. So, of course, I can have a list of people to interview, to ask to interview. You know, we do have a recently organized Starbucks here in Albany. I should talk to them, not nonprofit people, who mainly deal with how do I effectively reach a community that has been marginalized, that is on the margins. So on that, it's not really on that topic, that's just my opening rant slash discussion hot takes. But I do have two stories that can kind of help me talk about what I have found can be called new municipalism. In my program, The Three Left Show, I have discussed many strategies and tactics for bringing, doing left politics in a better way, uh, beyond the images and protests that are unfocused and unorganized. Or you do have a big social movement, but then because it does not have its own actual cohesive leadership or because it's Chun's leadership, it ends up getting sheepdog into established institutions of power controlled or managed or both by the elites, capitalists, or moderates. So it goes. But new, manip new municipalism is the eco-socialist slash 21st century left-wing uh, informed vision that is no learning from the lessons of the 20th century of all superpowers and sides uh, from reformist social democratic new deal politics learning from the failures slash missteps slash um, shortcomings of, of top-down socialism to have a socialism from the bottom up to have a left-wing politics that is mass politics but also balanced with the ability to have leadership, the ability to have experts, and the ability to have actual democracy. New municipalism. So I'll dive in that now and then as I talk about things going forward, because it is, of course, building off of everything else. And as I myself am taking part in a process, not really quite organized yet, but to form a local platform for the Green Party, because I do wear that hat too, as we are wanting to organize again, especially as we have a presidential campaign next year to worry about. But I'm going to reach back uh, to a story I've had in my bookmarked 
for a very long time, but again, waiting for doing local news and the right uh, week to talk about it. But going back, this is kind of one of the last articles I have, going back a few years, back to 2018. But I do not think these problems have gone away. If anything, they've intensified since then. Not around the methadone clinic in particular, which is what it's about, uh, but general poverty, lump and pearl slash working class, underclass people in Albany, uh, poverty, the, the truly destitute, or the people who are just struggling and how we're all kind of competing, we're all crabs walking over each other. So the story is from the Times Union, which I'm able to read on this laptop, maybe because it's Linux, but I want to plug that I would like a personal sponsor for the show so I can purchase, or rather subscribe, to the online Times Union, which is roughly $250. It's not quite affordable in my view, but I would need it if I want to at least read the, the Times Union and get it uh, out to people who would never be able to afford a daily paper. Not that I'm reading it every day, but there are a lot of different uh, local stories. It's not gold standard of journalism, but it is something. It is better than nothing. As this, I did enjoy this reads more or less, at least when I compare it to what I know in my interactions in town. <laughs> as I am not an impartial observer. Uh, Albany Addiction Recovery Clinic faces growing pains. As opioid dependence soared, Camino Nouveau became an overnight refuge for out-of-towners desperate for help, but its rapid growth has tested the city's compassion. Oh boy, I love, I love, sarcastically, that line about testing the city's compassion. We have compassion, but it has a limit. And that limit is when it starts costing me money or it personally gets in my space. That's sort of like what I hear. Because uh, that's when it shows up. Like, oh, I, I don't feel bad for these people anymore. They bothered me. They littered. They left a syringe out. <laughs> because there's no safe needle drop-off point. You know, because that encourages drug use. We can't do anything to encourage drug use. Okay, so when you still have the negative effects of drug use, you're like, Let's just get rid of them somehow. Or what exactly do you propose? That's why it usually comes down to leaving the city, leaving urban areas, what have you. This is written by Bethany Bump, July 6, 2018, full five years ago. I saved this when I started podcasting with the expectation I'd be reading it at some point. There are two distinct occasions that brought Mickey Jimenez and her staff at Camino Nuevo to tears. The first was on April 22, 2015, when the brand new methadone clinic opened its doors on Central Avenue in Albany and its very first patient walked up for a dose of medicine. The methadone eventually helped the man reclaim control of his life after a long battle with opioid addiction. But on that day, all Jimenez and her staff knew was that he was the first in a long line of patients who needed help and would finally get it. For four decades, Albany had only one methadone maintenance program for people battling opioid addiction, run by Whitney Young Health on DeWitt Street. The nearest program was in Amsterdam, but as communities nationwide began to see a rising toll of deaths from prescription painkiller and heroin overdoses, the city's single clinic reached capacity. By 2015, it had a waiting list of nearly 250 people. Camino Nuvo's arrival to the scene brought immediate and palpable relief. But ask city 
law enforcement, and business officials, and they'll tell you it also brought traffic, loitering, and crime. Though, isn't loitering a crime? Isn't traffic a crime? It's all a crime. But anyway, and crime to one of the city's busiest commercial corridors, Central Avenue, the highway in the city. They wanted to relocate to an isolated area of the city or out of the city altogether. Just get rid of it. I don't want to see it. I want it somewhere it doesn't touch me. Dirty. That's why three years later, on a recent April day, Jimenez was moved to tears again. The State Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services told the clinic it could no longer accept an unlimited number of patients. It must stop accepting patients when it hits 581. It was told in order to placate community concerns. Currently, yes, we can help people, but you got to put a limit on it. Currently, the clinic has a few dozen shy of that total, and the vast majority of its patients must visit the clinic daily to receive their medication. When you have a mom, quote, when you have a mom come into your office and drop on her knees, begging you to take her son, who's in the ICU for the third time with an overdose, you don't care about traffic, you're going to take them, says Jimenez, director of the clinic and regional director of its parent organization, which is called the Arcadia Network, Acedia, which runs similar programs in Buffalo and the boroughs. Here's the problem. As city officials see it, Camino Nuvo offers a service that their community and others nearby desperately need, but it's in the worst possible location. Occupying the first and fourth floors of a five-story building at 175 Central Ave, the clinic operates in close proximity to a school, barbershop, grocer, tax prep company, phone retailer, and auto repair shop. You know, it's an actual commercial corridor with businesses, a main street, if you will. It also happens to sit directly opposite the Central Avenue Business Improvement District's headquarters, giving Anthony Capace, its executive director, a first-hand view of the operation. He has to look at it every day. He has to look at those, those scraggly addicts trying to actually not be addicts. If you can imagine, and by the way, because it's this kind of service that did not exist decades ago, which actually allows someone to actually step off of being addicted to painkillers, heroin, meth, or, you know, worse. It actually allows people to take something that does not actually kill them, and they take it regularly to wean themselves off, or it replaces what they were taking because literally their body chemically is dependent on it, which is what addiction is about. It is a, I classify it, I, I feel I'm formed enough, I like this uh, way of phrasing it, it is a medical condition, it's like being a diabetic, but there's all these laws, like imagine having such regulations about getting um, the, uh, the things you need when you're a diabetic, you know, the, the testing strips, the injections, the, the sugar pills, uh, whatever, whatever is needed by a diabetic. Uh, imagine being so regulated. Like you have to go to CVS every day to get your testing strips. Now you get them mailed to you. That's where we probably need to be when it comes to treating addiction because it is that widespread and it is it needs to be super convenient and super easy because, let's face it, it's a medical condition that is quite destabilizing, quite debilitating. And it shouldn't be down to... We have to institutionalize someone if we're going to treat them, or we have to regulate the hell out of them, that they have to pick it up every day, and thus they have to, well, this goes into that. 
it creates all this, you know, chaos on this block between, was it Lake and, uh, and Lexington, I think. So if you can imagine three or four people being dropped off every few minutes, you can imagine the number of vehicles we get through here, he said. You'll see cabs doing U-turns, letting people out in the middle of the street, double parking. You almost have to see it to believe it. That wasn't the case when the Times Union visited the clinic during its busiest time on its busiest day, Tuesday between 8 and 11 a.m. Traffic was sparse. Two security guards patrolled a mostly empty sidewalk in front of the clinic, at one point instructing two people who had lingered at the corner to move along. A white van the clinic had recently purchased idled at the curb. But that visit also came after the clinic had taken various steps to appease community concerns. It hired more security guards who cracked down on loitering, shooting people away mostly, uh, well, that's what it means, uh, double parking, idling cabs, ignoring parking meters. It, it bought two vans to transport patients after their appointments, you know, so they can move along quickly. They actually have a means of, of leaving the block. Uh, a move it predicts will cut down on loitering among patients who are waiting for cabs as well, or the bus, or waiting as, uh, as well as traffic congestion, you know, because... Okay, it gets into why, why aren't they just taking the bus there? Isn't this a major travel corridor? People are coming from around the region to get here, or the whole county. So there's only so many, like, if you're not aware, arranging for transportation via Medicab or in any kind of cab is really bad. And these are people who can't afford Ubers. So, yeah, just saying it's criminal to loiter and it's just bad form and it's like they really can't help it. You gotta wait around. I waited for the bus. I do I look like a criminal? Obviously I don't, but again, I'm white and I'm not doing it on the wrong block or the most busy block or whatever. Rain it in. Whatever the city wants, quote. We're trying to just make it happen, said program director Jasmine Guerrero Wiggs. Whatever suggestions they have, we're trying to make it happen. Even with my budget, which isn't a lot, we get more guards and police enforcement. We're not saying we're perfect and have no issues, but we're trying. That's all I can say. Subtext, uh, subtitle, addressing crime. Mayor Sheehan went to the clinic herself one day to see the problems she had been hearing about firsthand. Standing across the street, she, across the street, not in front of it, she says she watched large amounts of cash exchanging hands among the people exiting the building. Police Chief Robert Sears confirmed that crime has risen in the area since the clinic's arrival. The city's other clinic on DeWitt Street has had fewer issues, he said, because it's in a less visible, relatively isolated area of the city near I-787 overpass. Oh, but what if that overpass isn't there? It will be, be seen again, and then it will be a problem because you can see it. But that's literally just saying it's out of sight, out of mind. And here, it's, the problem is that we can see it. We don't want to be reminded that there are social ills because that's what a lot of it really comes down to. It is a, like a problem for businesses because it affects their business. People don't want to visit my business because then they're also reminded there are social ills. <laughs> it makes everyone feel bad and also how powerless we are because we're seeing it as individual problems and what am I supposed to do about it? Between 2014 and 2017, Sheehan said the city saw a 76% increase in EMS and police calls to the area. It's not the same as increase in crime. That's what it made it sound like, but it's just more calls. 
uh, emergency calls, and a 53% increase in calls for fights, a 130% increase in calls for annoying people. Night, I didn't know that was a crime. And 55% increase in calls for annoying groups. You know, harassment, general in my area. This is what's meant by quality of life. Annoy, people who are annoying me because they're not following standard, uh, what the, the rules of etiquette uh, in polite society. These people just really can't fit in it for a lot of reasons. Uh, the issues that have occurred have been significant, with acts of violence erupting, she said. So I don't see how this methadone clinic is really meeting the needs of those who are seeking recovery, and it certainly is negatively impacting the businesses and residences in and around this location. This is still the mayor talking. So uh, Donald DePass, the clinic's head of security and a retired state police major, disagrees. He joined Camino Novo in October 2015, six months after it opened and was brought on specifically to handle issues of crime that had arisen around the clinic. Police have been called occasionally in the years since, he said, but on a limited basis. The stats the mayor cites, he said, are culled from a four-block area in all hours of the day, 24-7. The stats, yes. We're only open from 7 to 2, he said. Is there going to be an increase in activity? Yes, and I will admit that readily. But when you blame us for all the crime, that just doesn't make sense. Gerardo Wiggs said she's talked to families in the area who said they feel safer since the clinic moved in because of the increased police and their own security presence. I talked to one woman who says she now lets her daughter play in the front yard because she sees police patrolling and, our, and also our guards are there, out there. So she feels safer now than before the clinic came. Sort of an after effect. Subtitle, An Out-of-Town Refuge. For Sheehan, a key concern is that once again, the city of Albany, as the region's largest population center and state capital, seems to be taking on more than its fair share. Now, this is a, this is a standard line of hers going back five years and before that. Uh, fair share. And we need our fair share of money from the state as we take on a lot, our, you know, quite a, well, a concentrated amount of the social ills of our state. Roughly 72% of Camino Novo's patients hail from outside the city while 48% are from outside Albany County. Half are from outside the county. That's why they need long-term cabs and transportation problems. So according to stats provided by the clinic, some patients come from as far away as Fulton County and Vermont for lack of services or capacity in their own communities. Yes, that's obviously the question. Why are they coming from so far away? Shouldn't, doesn't every county have this? Ah, but earlier in the article, you mentioned that the city was imposing or regulating to say that they can only handle X number of people. And this is one of the larger clinics. Let's get into that. To city officials, the groove seemed to happen overnight. And there's a reason. This is a site that originally had roughly 50 patients and has since ballooned to 600, Sheehan said. They're coming on a daily basis to a small clinic on Central Avenue in a commercial district that is not designed to handle that volume of individuals. Now, that seems that's a ridiculous statement to me. Because we have a city that has a transient population of 100,000. They're called state workers. They come in, they go to one location that obviously can handle them, and then they leave. So I guess what she's saying is that block of Central Ave needs a big parking garage. Or it needs some turnaround lanes. It needs engineering. But oh, no, no. That's the bad part of town. That's not going to get that kind of infrastructure improvement. 
No, the county cannot put the money into that. We can put money into parking garages. We can put money in the 787, but we're not, we cannot, in our highways, I'm just talking about roads in general, but we're not going to put it into those neighborhoods. That's what I hear with the logic of like, well, it's just not designed for this kind of volume. 600 people on one block? What is this, an urban city? Why don't you go to Manhattan? Spend some time there on a block. See how many people a block in New York can accommodate. And the Central Avenue blocks are very similar. And there's parking there. It's tra- it, some, some blocks are dragons, Steve. That's what it's called when you have building, parking lot, building, parking lot. Camino Nova was originally certified to serve 400 patients, more than any other clinic in the area. So that's the certification. So they went over that. That's something to point out. So in the middle of an endemic, though, it didn't take long to reach capacity. In December 2016, the state lifted its cap. But as the patient load neared 600, outcry from the city and community officials grew. It's amazing what 200 more patients like. Oh, that's wait. Now it's too much. In response, the state again imposed a cap, setting it at 581 patients this past April. That's back in 2018. Only about 300 of those patients come on a daily basis, Grower Wiggs said. The others are patients who have been in the program a long time and followed the rules. They're given a month-long supply of methadone as a result, which means it's harder to, if, if you don't know an addict, like keeping a monthly schedule is kind of difficult. For those who are on Social Security they're, they're, or, or disability payment, they only get paid once a month. Let's say they're addicted to something as simple as cigarettes, as the many working or underclass people are. They can try to budget themselves so they have enough cigarettes to not get the shakes, but they're not always going to make that. And maybe that last week of the month, they're going to have the shakes and they're going to want to fight everyone around them because withdrawal sucks. So... Really, if we just need a, a cigarette give-out program if we really want to stop fights. Or, a, as it is, a universal basic income. At least if you're destitute. That extra $100 can fill that gap so they have enough cigarettes. Oh, it's just going to cigarettes and booze. Well, when someone's having withdrawal symptoms, it's bad for everybody. It starts to affects you now. So you can either pay... A million dollars for more cops or security cameras, or you can pay a thousand dollars to ensure that people's basic addictions are met, which is part of the methadone clinic. You know, the the cost of that program saves hundreds, if not thousands, of lives, and reduces all the costs of all the overdosing. And then the death and, and the crime that could result from someone freaking out, you know, and all of that. As, as, as the usual stat goes, it's cheaper to house someone on your couch than it is to house them in prison. Now, obviously, you don't want them in your house. But, I mean, the point stands that if we just literally gave the homeless homes and paid the electricity and the bills for them, you know, the, the thousand bucks a month. That's cheaper than the, them basically being criminalized and eventually having to live in prison, which is two grand a month or something like that. 
Oh, but they didn't earn it. Why don't I get $1,000 a month? Okay. There you go. Join us, the socialists. We'll all budget ourselves $1,000. We'll solve social ills. Not just with that, of course. You know, reparations isn't just giving out money. It's building social uh, infrastructure. Public amenities. Not give outs. You know, there's the language of like, it's a give out, it's a handout. No, no, it's public provisioning. It's provisioning. Handout. Are you handing things out when you feed your family? No, you're provisioning. And as a city, we can say we're, we're like a big family. And no, not, not the kind of authoritarian father-knows-best family. No, no the, the, I guess the feminized politics of we've got to have provisioning. Yes, you can, you can have a pack of cigarettes. They'll keep you from picking fights and stabbing someone, stabbing your friends, or having a panhandle. Because that's, that's really what it's for. Most of the time, of course, I don't have the stats of like what panhandle and what, what they're spending on, but sometimes it's just, it's just a meal. Back to the caps. The underlying issue is that people need treatment and they need treatment options in their communities. This is also the mayor, Sheehan. So the frustration for me is that for a population that overwhelmingly lives outside of the city of Albany, we are yet again the epicenter for having to solve that problem. Kind of a lack of solidarity there, but I understand. It's the fact that there's these caps in other communities because other towns said, we don't want this clinic at all. So that's why they have to come here because we, in our compassion, <laughs> are allowing for a harm-reducing redu program. But for the staff of Camino Nuevo, what municipality a person comes from is irrelevant. If they're in need and the clinic has space, they're going to take them. It's only right, says Jimenez. So meeting the need at home. As the opioid, opioid epidemic has grown, epidemic, so too have local treatment options, but not nearly enough, advocates say. Deaths from opioid overdose are far outpacing available treatment options, and state funding to enhance these efforts have fallen short. In the years since a Camino Novo, Nuvo opened, the state certified two more methadone clinics to operate in the region. Conifer Park opened facilities in Troy and Schenectady, but it is certified to treat just 75 patients and then and 25 respectively. So the one in Troy can treat 75, the one in Schenectady, 25. Was that a shack? So Whitney Young House Clinic has a cap of 350 patients, and St. Mary's Healthcare in Amsterdam has a cap of 100. Caps are set based on need, as well as a provider's past performance, said Rob Kent, the general counsel at the state of office, the state's Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services. It really should be just General Addiction Services Office ask me because alcoholism is an old antiquated 20th century idea about how it's a disease and substance abuse rather than I guess addiction is loaded I guess I have to look into it myself they also cannot exceed a building certificate of occupancy which is determined by local code I doubt they're doing that exceeding that I mean the state is trying to encourage clinics to open more in more communities as a way of offsetting the density that places like Albany have seen but gaining local support is a major barrier, Kent said. 
It's so great how decentralized our state. You know, hey, local control. It's what I want, right? But local communities have to sign off, he said. Ayencia worked with the city of Albany to cite Camino Nuvo. So I don't know what their process was, but this was not stuck, snuck in. It was done in full view. But we wouldn't know it would be like this. Citing a treatment program is difficult to begin with. And for some reason, when you make it one that offers methadone, even in the midst of an opioid epidemic, it's really difficult, he added. To open a clinic, this is still the guy from the, the state talking. To open a clinic, a provider needs state approval from the Office of Addiction Services and so on, and federal approval from the DEA. It also has to meet stringent security guidelines enforced by the DEA, and they don't come cheap. So they could be helping even more people, but there's, there's uh, regulations. So this is not an easy process, Jimenez said. The DEA kept coming in with something new we had to address, whether it was the thickness of the wall, the types of screws that went into a wall. We actually had to put the special coating on a window because when the sun was peaked at 1 o'clock, we really couldn't see the face of the nurse in the dispensing window on our security cameras. And then they said, wait a second, what if someone goes up onto your roof and comes down on a rope and breaks into your window? So we had to put sensors in on every window. It was five grand just to pour the cement for the vault that stores the methadone. Alto. So it kind of sounds like the process that uh, the right goes with uh, limiting abortion by putting all of these and, and every time they go to the, the abortion clinics or planned parenthood clinics. Well, that's the organization, but you know what I mean, family planning clinics. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, no, you have the wrong shade of paint here. Or, oh, the lighting in here is too bright. We got to shut you down. It's unsafe. Also, all told, she said it cost $3 million to meet DEA requirements for such security enhancements. $3 million. And then, so what we're trying to convey to the city is, listen, we hear you. But it is not like we can just pick up right now and go somewhere else. You know, they put in $3 million they, into this where they are. So is the city going to compensate them for that? No, of course. The city, the city couldn't spare $3 million, But if we did spend $3 million on that block, oh, boy, would it be nice. But that's the kind of investment that's needed to really turn social, um, social problems around. Big in social investment to solve social problems. Just can't be an individual's doing their entrepreneurial thing. There's no app that's going to fix this, unless it's a democracy app, which I'm all for. But on the subject of regulations and a regulating state rather than an empowering or an enabling state, which is sort of part of my politics, the other side, of, in, in a com almost a completely different world from that of addiction and social ills and, and the underclass, farms owners say town of colony a roadblock to small businesses. So no, we're not talking about Albany now. We're not talking about the inner city crime urban populations now now we're in nice colonies same population as albany but very much not the same density but it's always fascinating when people refer to colony as being you know almost larger in population to albany so they like they deserve more money and attention and uh and what have you it's where the development's going what have you so fort's ferry farm fff triple f has closed its farm stand and will now move it to Columbia County after battling colony regulators. 
Business owners echo the farm's complaints. The town says it welcomes all businesses. So this is an interesting story because it definitely, like, more reporting is needed, not reporting, but investigation to see what's really going on with this. But really, I think what's also needed is an ideological lens. That's what I'm here for, baby. Um, to interpret these events. Because otherwise, like, if, if I was reading this as a teen or age 20, I'd be pretty confused about what, what's going on here. You have business owners on one side, and sometimes I'm like, well, they're just, like, trying to increase their profits and do their best, of course. You know, they're, they're a local family business, let's say. But it seems like their complaints seem really babyish, you know, at times. Like, oh, they're making me wait a month. Oh, don't they know time is money? Like, yes, a government doesn't really need to worry about time because to them it's about public safety or public welfare. It's not about how much money you're losing. But, of course, money is also taxes. So this is written by Steve Barnes from February of this year. So that's when I banked it. Eight years after opening Fort's Ferry Farm, its owners have removed their farm stand and halted its all-future development for the public at the multi-million dollar property and business in Latham because of what they characterize as a town bureaucracy of, quote, archaic regulations and questionable values. That is, quote, nearly impossible to navigate. Sometimes it's just a matter that, like, there's a digital divide that, uh, and this is something that, uh, well, someone in my office, won't say who, is moving. And they needed a permit for a moving pod, you know, a big uh, container that's plopped down and you fill it up with your stuff and then uh, using then it goes, then it gets sh almost like shipped. So you don't need to like, it's like using a moving company, but you get to load it yourself. So you get a, need a permit for a pod because you're basically plopping a shipping container in your driveway. And she thought she could do it digitally, like online, pay it online. It's a form. But no, she had to physically go get it signed and stamped, notarized by one office, bring it to another. I'm sorry, go to, go to get the forms um, signed out, get it notarized at another office, and then bring it back. So she actually had to leave the office for half a day to get that done and pay. She had to pay in one place, notarize it in another place, the, second, the first place. Stuff like that. So the farm, which last year raised uh, 25,000 pounds of produce across 300 varieties, will continue to sell swears at the Troy Waterfront Farmer's Market on Saturdays, but the property is largely closed to the public, ending programs including free public and school agricultural tours, wellness classes. So an actual farm in Colony? I didn't know those still existed. They're, they're quite a rarity these days. Um, subdivisions are more profitable. But wellness classes, they do music, they do theme nights, they do a pizza night, movie nights, so on, so, you know, social events. So the owners said they are so frustrated by roadblocks from town officials that they will be moving their farm stand to Columbia County with a projected opening in midsummer. The farm will use its website to sell prepared foods, pantry items, the usual stuff, and shipping or on-farm pickup. Complaints about the colony bureaucracy from F were echoed in interviews with multiple owners of small businesses. I wish they defined what small meant, but let's just say it's less than 20 people work for it. Sometimes this business should be defined by how much the revenue or assets are. I kind of go with assets, I suppose, because you can have like a one-man, I'm a small business, but I'm a multimillionaire. <laughs> All of the owners said colony officials have created a climate that seems to welcome deep-pocketed developers box stores, and other national chains, but regularly stymies independent owners. 
Now, on their end, they'd probably say, well, corporations are way more easier to deal with in that they are predictable. Like they're not going to go away. They're kind of here to stay. They got stability, even though something like Toys R Us can go bankrupt. Uh, it's it's the, those are the, those are the exceptions. Uh, small businesses, you know, half of them close in three years, and another seventy percent close after seven years. They don't reach their tenth year. You know, it's you don't. It's, it's a crapshoot. So why bother? You know, why bother? That's that's the cynical take. But when it comes to those of questionable values, as they say, that's sort of the mindset that's at work. And to them, they're also kind of working on a for-profit model. How can we maximize our tax revenue? Corporations are going to be paying more taxes. They're going to have more expensive assets. They're going to be doing more business. Veronica Giovan, senior associate town attorney for Colony, rejected the characterization of the town as unfriendly to small business. I think the town welcomes all business, she said. I've seen apartment complexes go up faster than I could get a water line approved, said Emma Hurst, who grew up locally, went to culinary school, and returned to the capital district region to open the Triple F with her husband, John Barker. So these are the actual owners, Emma Hurst, John Barker. She did this after a stint as a chef and co-owner of an acclaimed restaurant in the boroughs. By boroughs, when I, when I say the boroughs, I mean New York City. Barker's brother, James, joined the farm as a partner back in 2018. Hearst is the daughter, can you guess, of the Times Union publisher, George Hearst III. So she is technically old money at this point. And this is how they come to own 30 acres on Forts Ferry Road, where the farm is located. The farm leases the property, 70 acres total. So this kind of gives a sense that they're not really doing the farming, but they do own it. Uh, 70 acres from George Hearst. And this, this is where at the point of the article, I'm like, am I really rooting for these people? <laughs> these old money, like, yep, inherited wealth, doing whatever they want, living the dream. They can do whatever they want. Of course they started a farm. When asked, what would you do if money was no object? Oh, I, I just want to garden, grow some food, do something productive, feed my community. <laughs> they can do it. They just had to, well... Go off of the blood money of the hearse legacy. You know, promoting war, starting wars, exploitating uh, newsboys. <laughs> just for a start. Just to go off of um, what's in mass media. So anyway, enough of a hearse bashing. Um, but it's really capitalist bashing. So the Times Union Vice President Operations and Integrated Services, Dan Kuto, has an independent arrangement with the farm to be its chief liaison officer, in which role... He has communicated with town officials about farm projects that are under dispute. Neither he nor George Hurst had any involvement in this story. In addition to the water line, which has yet to be approved, and this is the water line for the farm, okay? That's, that's Emma's. Uh, it's yet to be approved and is intended for crop irrigation and to provide water for chickens and rescue steers. Triple F has battled with the town over its farm stand. Emma Hurst said town officials seemed to decide last year, after seven years of it being open, that it didn't meet the town's definition of a farm stand. They have also had legal wranglings with the town over a sign, tours, and other events, their lighting, so on. In an online explanation of the decision to remove the farm stand, Hearst and Barkers wrote that Triple F was, quote, confronted with bureaucratic red tape at every stage of our growth. They said bureaucracy and regulatory enforcement were, and by turns, inconsistent 
and overzealous, resulting in exorbitant costs in legal and professional services. Okay. Helps the economy, right? You got it's gotta trickle down. It's gotta trickle down somehow. I say cynically. Colony Town Code defines a farm stand as being a seasonal business. No, 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 the wheels turn in my head. Like, okay, seven years, they were okay with it, and then decide they're not, maybe because they start actually being successful. Maybe seven years is like that. Okay, a small business has lasted this long. It means they're here to stay. We can, they're not going to collapse the second we blow on them. Uh, and by blow, I mean like, uh, you know, lean on them for to actually follow rules because we've given them a pass before because, hey, New small businesses need help. They say they need help. Okay, we got out of their way. Now we're going to be in their way. <laughs> now we're actually going to enforce the rules we have. That's I'm just playing devil's advocate. It gets tricky. And by that, I mean there's no heroes to be found in this story um, by the time I finish reading it, uh, which I probably won't get to, but let's go on anyway. The concerns that the town has specifically are safety, said um, the legal for this town. She said it is considered unsafe for the public and employees to be in a building that has not been inspected by the town and given a certificate of occupancy. Why wasn't it inspected seven years ago when they built it? So we've been, how could they build it without any inspection for seven years? Uh, so anyway, I skipped a paragraph. Colony Town Co. defines a farm stand as being a seasonal business, quote, without a permanent structure and only offering outdoor shopping. You know, so it's up a tent. So in an interview, the council initially said Triple F met the definition when it opened because it sold its produce at a table. When told the farm stand since the beginning was a shed with a porch, doors and windows, and electricity, that's an important point, council did Javine, I'll go with that, said that meant it would have been in violation. So they just I guess they just figured out that they actually had a full shed. So it wasn't for the full seven years. We've been asking them to comply with the town and state code for years. Okay, so they asked nicely a bunch. That's their side of it. Now we're not asking nicely. Now we're saying, yep, we're not going to put in your water line then. It's tit for tat. It's you got to treat us with a little respect and follow at least the basic rules. Have us Allow us to inspect it. I mean, why, why didn't they accept the inspection? I think that would have. Uh, so her, I guess if they inspected it, they would say, you're not a farm stand anymore. It needs to be permitted. It has, needs a conditional use, so on and so forth. So Hearst acknowledged the farm stand was not approved by the town and does not have a certificate of occupancy. Okay. So you, you think, like, that's okay now? So but here's where, like, my, my empathy kind of reached a limit if it had one. We didn't think we needed it, she said. In a town where tax rolls show only 2% of the land is agricultural, their farm code is archaic, Hearst said. We grow year-round. Well, it wasn't all non-farm now. It was originally farm. So that's what they're saying. Their farm code's archaic. We grow year-round, and we need a place to refrigerate our produce. You can't sell it by the side of the road on a table in the middle of winter or in the middle of summer. Another farm stand in Colony, Lansing's Farm Market and Greenhouses on Lishakill Road, is also a building with doors, windows, and electricity. It, too, does not have a certificate of occupancy from the town says Al Lansing, the owner, who has been working on the eighth-generation farm since 1964. Argument could be made. It's grandfathered it. But the battle between Colony and Triple F along the roadside sign lasted a full year, said James Barker. 
our little six grand dollar sign turned into a twenty thousand dollar sign after all the legal and professional fees were added on. Barker said the town was demanding a separate application for a zoning verification be submitted, along with a hundred five dollar fee for every non farm activity, such as yoga, music, beekeeping, and farm tours. Are farm tours within the town's purview? He said referring to the State Department of Agriculture and Markets, Barker said. We, as we understand it, anything farm-related is the dominion of ag and markets, but the town just goes ahead and tries to regulate everything. <laughs> Imagine a little bit of home rule. But again, it's, it's, it's also like the, the expectation is like, what else do they have to do? Colony is, is so, it's, uh, it's laissez-faire, you know, everything's self-regulated. So like, what are they to do? Um, but Hearst said the town tried to stop construction of the farm's greenhouses, backing off only when the farm's lawyer proved it was the state agency's jurisdiction. There's so much overreach, Hearst said. A business owner familiar with the farm's disputes with the town, and whom for more than 30 years has run a company that provides services to other businesses, said, quote, It feels like the town is extinguishing what could be a really unique and extraordinarily quality of life improvement for colony residents. Now, of course, this is a business, right? There's no public provisioning, really, in Colony. Except, uh, no, there's a town park. Probably a lot of good things, actually. There's, a, there's several things. But um, he was one of the eight owners of the small businesses in Colony who said in interviews over the past week that they have had similar exasperating run-ins with town officials. So it's not just like some personal grudge. None except Hearst and the Barkers were willing to be identified for fear of retaliation in current or future business before the town. Quote, My architect and site engineer were leery of working on the project specifically because it was in the town of Colony, said the owner of a business that had been trying for a year to expand its building. Quote, They told me it would be easier to move to another municipality. After her architect had to revise the plans multiple times, the bill quadrupled to twelve grand, according to the owner. Not everybody is in the position to keep throwing money and time at dealing with the town. It feels so hostile, a small business, but they're happy to have all the big chains come in. I think you just answered your own question. It's not a question. Another owner who is in manufacturing said town inspectors required that he rip up concrete to move a fixture half an inch. He said his general contractor included a line item in the project's budget listed as a more colorful version of Town of Colony shenanigans, adding 10 grand expecting that like you know they're going to ask you to make changes it will cost 10 grand by the time we're done it was the owner said for the weird weird processes random cancellations extra hand holding and all the ridiculous other junk that the town requires for further examples the owner of a wellness business said approval for an expansion took four years a hospitality company was told an existing outdoor feature could no longer be used and the town insisted a beauty business install accommodations that an expert consultant in the field said were not required, adding that uh, what the owner called significant and unnecessary expense. I kind of wish there were details so we're not just going off of what these people are saying. Oh, yes, my hired expert said I don't need it. The, the scientist that the smoking business uh, and the cigarette business hired said smoking's fine for you. The oil business hired my, my, my firm that I hired says climate change is a hoax. It's on a smaller scale, of course, but capitalism's capitalism to me. In September 7th email to FFFF, following up on questions about the farm stand, 
Donald Ledoux Jr., Senior Commercial Business Inspector and Zoning Officer for the Town Building Department, wrote that the farm stand was being subjected to scrutiny because it had been expanded beyond its original scope without approval. You know, he didn't ask us. Among other objections, he did not address the fact that the stand has been a permanent structure since the beginning. But was it? It said it was a tent first. Or a table. What? So, now I'm confused. But we're also at, towards the end. James Barker said, what we're doing is the same thing that's happening at farms all over the country. Small farms need to find dynamic ways to generate revenue, capture public interest. Yeah, because the last few paragraphs are about like, and they're also doing all these things that are not growing food. They're doing all these extra activities, public stuff, social events. Farms have tours. Farms have beekeeping classes. Farms have yoga. Farms have live music. But for some reason in the town of Colony, that's not farm-related. Since we started, the town has always been a little confused about our business, Hurst said. When we introduced our design for our barn in 2016, they said it looked like a restaurant, and they didn't even know why we needed a barn. We're a farm. They see something online and base their response on that instead of coming over to see what we're doing. They're continually operating through assumption, and the social media stalking is pretty unprofessional. So unprofessional. Oh, this is because, again, backing up, Emma Hurst said officials seem to be basing their enforcement on what they see on social media saying that emails with questions and concerns from the town often include screenshots from their Facebook accounts. <laughs> so not from a, you know, actually sending someone to inspect themselves, you know. So, again, it seems like they're just filling time. Uh, what, you know, what else do they have to do? It's not like they're, they're doing real governing. Or, you know, or, or they could make a make-work job, but whatever. Um not make work job, the opposite, you know, the sea filling job. Do I have a, a last minute uh, or two? Do I have a general conclusion of this? My general take is that a town or city government, local governance, should be enabling and not regulating. And that goes for whether it's for social services and public provisioning or whether it's for, you know, small business owners market-based ones, right? But the more business and, you know, you kind of, there's two ways of looking at it. I think a top-down leftist version is you integrate, you know, state capitalism is where the, the city is the businesses, right? So the, the, they're integrated, the bureaucracy, of course, that everyone hates. And, and that's why, you know, a, a 21st century socialism, left-wing politics, is not for more bureaucracy. We have a critique of bureaucracy. It's that it does, in fact, encourage these inequalities. Inequalities like corporate versus community. Yes, you can have community-based businesses, even if they're owned by you know old money. But they can also be owned by new money, new immigrants, new people, if they have the financing, if they have the support. And that comes in many forms. So I'm out of time. That's it for this week's show. Please contact me, leave feedback, suggest topics, or join me on the program. Use my socials on Facebook, Twitter, and Macedon at what's left in Albany slash three left show. My Instagram is Dan J. Platt, P L A A T. The website is www.3lefts, that's three, numeral three, lefts.news, which contains show notes and the archive of all episodes for both programs. As a three-left show is my leftist theory show where I discuss strategies, practice for left for itself. 
I want to wish all well and encourage all listening to devote some time every week to a collective or community project as we discover what is actually left in Albany. Have a good one, folks. Yeah.